0: A worker becomes somewhat like an astronaut talking to mission control where they can ask difficult questions and have an immediate answer on certain aspects that they need to know right now. So there's a number of aspects that will change based on the technology and and the culture shift that will go with it.
1: You are listening to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. The manufacturing sector is evolving and the work that happens on the front line is the key to driving future readiness. On each episode, we bring you conversations with global leaders in industrial companies. Our goal is to discuss trends, stories and people in digital manufacturing and offer the latest insight into solutions. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources at operationsone.com. I'm your podcast host Benjamin Brockman. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence and future proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the Future Proof Operations Podcast.
0: Thank you, Benjamin. It's a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today.
1: Great to have you. Sean, could you give me a 60 seconds overview of who you are and what you are doing?
0: Yep, My name is Sean Layden. I work for KPMG in Australia. I'm KPMG's Director of Frontline Operator Advisory. And what we do is provide advisory and technology solutions. So advisory services and technology solutions and support to organizations that have large technically skilled workforces doing operationally critical work that can't be done remotely from an office or a control room or something like that. So we provide services uh, to support those organizations perform better, reduce cost, enhance and enable their workforces with technology, adjust their operating model to get more out of their work on a day-to-day basis these are just some examples of of what we do
1: i think right now we live in transformational times so we are talking about automation digitalization i'm very curious how you envision the future of frontline operations so what do you think how will front-end operations look like 10 years from now
0: yeah thanks Benjamin, it's a really interesting topic and love discussing this. I think that we are in unique times when it comes to frontline operations. So I might just start by, you know, what did it look like in the recent past? Frontline operations is typically driven from top down within the organization with work allocation being assigned to the frontline worker. There's not a lot of two-way feedback, but instead just You know, sending people out to do work um, that was expected to be accomplished at the end of the day based on some asset maintenance plan that had been created by others, performing work probably on equipment that had been selected by others, uh, you know, engineers, for example, that had selected what the frontline would be working on. So then looking forward, what does it look like? We believe at KPMG, and according to the thought leadership paper we released in August of last year called the Future of Frontline Operations, uh, there's quite a few emerging trends based on our global research that we're going to see digitally enabled frontline workers that are the ones who are you know, informed by the right data on location to be the best ones to make decisions about what work gets done when. We're going to see the frontline operator increasingly deliver the customer experience at the front line. And so they'll become critical in that respect to, you know, being the face of the organization for customers. We're gonna see smart assets and plant create digital relationships with the frontline operators themselves and the equipment, as well as uh, the middle office. So these are just a couple of examples, but the bottom line is Digitally enabled workers are are going to be making more decisions on their own. They're going to be uh, empowered and they're going to be informed with the right data at the right time. And they're going to be equipped with information systems, artificial intelligence, machine learning based models that will help them, you know, make the right decisions at the right time.
1: Yeah, Sean, super interesting. And uh, you already named a lot of super interesting areas when it comes to the future of frontline operations. And I would like to focus first on the, the point you mentioned at the beginning that the old world somehow is a top down world where the information, the actions, the jobs are coming top down to the frontline worker, to the frontline operations, and you say that this will change significantly. How will it change? So what are the transformational forces behind it that this can change?
0: The forces are the advancements in technology to the point that they are commercially available and inherently safe to be used in a frontline capacity. So just example, imagine in the future a frontline worker. And let's say he's a water utility worker in this example. He's equipped with an augmented reality headset and that headset is tied into a digital twin of his network and the assets he's responsible for working on, or perhaps she. As she looks down through her augmented reality lens, she can see the assets underground, and she can also see what fluids are moving through the different underground assets pipes. She can see through the digital twin and based on customer reports to their call center where the problem is located. She can pull up, perhaps it's a valve that's malfunctioning or or a pump. She can pull up an expanded view of that pump. She can see and receive suggestion provision of AI-based troubleshooting steps based on what she's seeing. She can compare that pump or valves operation with original equipment manufacturer uh, operational specs and look to see how that pump is actually operating according to the digital twin, all using gesture control. So she can move her hands around and reference the Google Glass or whatever uh, the product may be, a safety, an inherently safe version, hardened version for frontline work. And that worker may also be able to reach back to technical support and engineer, perhaps in the middle office, or even an original equipment manufacturer of that pump in this example. So that's a quick snapshot of what the future may look like. But what you see in this situation is a worker being able to much more rapidly assess the situation, identify the problem without having to dig up any pavement or cause further problems by breaking pipes that they didn't realize were under the surface of the road. They can identify, pinpoint the problem, uh, identify troubleshooting steps, talk to technical support, and solve the problem much more quickly.
1: And you talked about augmented reality and digital twins. Do you think the transformation is just about technologies? Because I understand this is a technology question. Do we have that technologies at the frontline workforce? Are they able to use it? And then we have the transformation. Is it just that?
0: So I was formerly a U.S. Navy F-18 pilot, so a fast jet pilot and carrier-based. So that was my frontline operations experience. So I believe that there will have to be new ways of thinking as well as new ways of working. And by that, I mean that we'll have to introduce more and more a culture of high reliability in workforces that are equipped this way. Another hypothesis that we uncovered in our research that's captured in our report is that because of the reduced number of workers in the future in the field and controlling through IoT and direct digital connections with assets, we're going to need to have more robust digital operational safety technologies, for example, that provide them a visual reference and timing of isolations. So you can imagine, again, in this example of a worker with an augmented reality lens, that worker, and perhaps this is now electrical power utility looks up and can see which part of the power line is isolated and for how long it's safe to work on that power line. The, the, the work permit is digitally reflected in color-coded you know power lines that are green, f- safe to work, and red on either side of the isolation and a timing. They can also access who is on the permit, so how many workers are signed on currently as they get ready to re-energize that power line and release it. So, Basically, getting back to your question, is the technology transformation the only part of it? No, I believe we're going to need cultural transformation that will bring in principles of high reliability into just how workers like this will do their work day to day.
1: Super interesting. And I'm asking myself, if we talk about learning new technologies, so learning how to use them on the one hand side and getting more and more capabilities as a frontline worker, how can we make sure that the frontline workforce will be able to get that knowledge and that capabilities. You talked about cultural change. How do you see that?
0: A great question that leads to, to another one of our hypotheses that we're going to see the roles of people change in the front line. We're going to see an, an increase in the number of roles that are digitally focused. So your IT and OT support will move from the office to the front line where they'll be expected to be on the front line supporting frontline workers and you'll also see frontline workers having more digital capability and knowledge and know-how on on how to handle their technology so that will be a shift another shift will be that need either for artificial intelligence or live technical support, you know, and reach back to an organization. So a worker becomes somewhat like an astronaut talking to mission control, where they can ask difficult questions and have an immediate answer on certain aspects that they they need to know right now. So, yeah, there's a number of aspects that will change based on the technology and, and the culture shift that will go with it.
1: Within your research, within your thought leadership, you named 10 hypotheses of how frontline operations will change. I assume we already talked about some of them. Other hypotheses where we say, hey, this are big transformations which are going on.
0: Absolutely. Benjamin, I think there's some important ones to talk about that haven't naturally emerged yet. One of them is, you know, we've talked a lot about digital twin and augmented reality relay of that information to the frontline operator, what will make this possible is next generation telecommunications, you know, 5G connections to be able to handle the bandwidth, of the flow of data that will be necessary to enable this to reduce the latency. So that's one that organizations need to be thinking about as they build computing platforms and introduce new technologies that workers will need to use. They'll need to think about what's the backbone of this is it's 5G architecture. Also edge computing, low code applications will start to emerge as something that's really important. That's one that's not obvious, but you know, one that people usually sort of it grabs their attention. And I usually get the response that, hey, we haven't really thought about that yet. Another one is that asset aftermarket service models will change in that when Rolls-Royce sells Qantas, in my region of the world, a jet engine. They don't sell a jet engine. They sell an outcome. They sell aircraft availability. So more and more original equipment manufacturers will sell an outcome. And to achieve that outcome, they'll be providing support so that we believe you'll start to see, as a part of your frontline, OEM employees working into your frontline to support their work on whatever equipment that they've provided to ensure that that outcome is delivered you also see direct support provided
1: you said that oem employees will work within the frontline yes is it connected to the point which you brought up in your research as well where you say customer experience and frontline operations will get more and more connected yes what do you mean by that essentially
0: through and we're seeing it you know these things play out today A water utility in Australia, Yara Valley Water, has created a management system for their distribution of water that is AI-enabled, and it takes in a number of different feeds, and they can see real-time where failures are happening. They can see pull up the work order history and see where in that area where they're experiencing water supply problems – what the recent work was done in that part of the city or their network. And they can receive AI-enabled priorities of repair to restore the most houses to supply as, as possible. So what you can see is then a worker that's enabled with that information will be able to provide more information to the customer. Be able to respond more quickly to the critical nodes of the network and resolve problems to for more people more efficiently so that's one example in real terms and we'll be, that will start to become the norm and the what's expected by the customer now that utilities in the world are doing that kind of thing
1: super interesting and in the last minutes you talked about a lot of different technologies enabling that things and I would like to use some minutes to deep dive a little bit into the technologies and take a look, how close are we to bring them into the production area right now? How close are we to making them productive? And for example, you named Digital Twin 5G AI, 5G, for example. So super fast mobile internet. It's crazy. It's super cool to have it. When I talk with our customers or potential customers, I went into their production area, for example, and at some point we are not talking about 5G or Wi-Fi. We are talking about an offline environment because the people have problems to bring Internet to the production area at all. So how do you see the gap right now between state-of-the-art research or innovative technologies, which you can see, which are there, but on the other hand side, what is happening right now in the production areas and the shop floors of the manufacturing companies?
0: Well, you've landed on a key challenge. that's always been there for, you know, the mobile computing solutions for frontline workers, especially those that go underground or otherwise, you know, go in locations where they don't have internet access. And we could talk quite a while on this topic, but just to give you a A couple of examples, I believe it's always going to be necessary to have offline functionality that then as soon as you have a good internet connection, it'll automatically refresh. So you don't leave the worker unsupported while they're underground. There needs to be a robust, and this is where edge computing comes on, there needs to be a level of computing that happens on their tablet or their phone or their AR device, whatever it is that they're using, but then seamlessly Upload so 5G comes into it when we're, it's it's about the bandwidth, the latency, the amount of data we're moving. So if you're talking about managing complex graphics to provide a digital twin view of undergrounded assets through a uh, Google Glass so that, or similar, you're, you're having this 3D representation. The, the graphics demand becomes quite significant, and it's you know it changes based on head position, and so you're going to need a low latency, high bandwidth connection, and so. The 5G network is available in many locations in the world now. The critical part of that hypothesis we have identified is that people should be considering the ability of their technology to operate on 5G as they progress towards and look to the future and they're implementing technologies. You know, a key question is, can this operate off of 5G? And does it? And what would well, see the? Is it optimized for 5G? You know, looking forward to the future. There's a couple answers to this question. Like I said, we could deep dive into that. For example, one more consideration is one of the things that many organizations have faced is the challenge of providing secure internet access to a worker in the field, perhaps in a remote, isolated location, so that they can interrogate or even operate IoT-enabled assets. But they don't want you know, anybody who doesn't have the appropriate security protocols to be able to operate that asset. And uh, you can imagine a a dam, for example, and the the damaging impact of the wrong people are able to operate the sluice gates on a dam. So clearly secure, robust Internet connections at the asset become really important if frontline operators are going to have the ability to operate IoT from those locations.
1: And you named the digital twin as well? Yes. Could you explain a little bit what the idea is behind the digital twin and why it is helping the front-end operations to work better?
0: Simply put, a digital twin, in my way of thinking, is a digital representation of your system. And generally when I speak of it, I'm talking about a network, an asset network providing an essential service. And so the digital twin provides not only information on the Precise location of assets, the nature of those assets, whether it's a collection of pumps, valves, pipes, or electrical poles and conductors and transformers, but also provides operating status for those different devices, including current state flows, you know, it was based on IoT sensors, so that you can see what voltage is it traveling through the transformer or what volumes of water are passing through the the pipes and valves, or in the case of oil and gas, the petroleum product, the molecules that are that are moving through and the RPM of the pumps that are operating. So and the benefit it can provide to the frontline workers is is having an immediate digital reference for the asset that they're looking at. So they can confirm they're they're at the right asset. Um, so that prevents operating an incorrect asset or or trying to do work on an asset that is fine because you've misidentified it it also provides excellent information on you know how that asset is performing compared to what it should be doing so the benefits go on and on but you know basically having a real-time or near real-time digital reference for the piece of equipment you're trying to repair and how it's affecting the broader network
1: and if i would like to built the first digital twins for my products, for my machine park, which I have, which kind of technologies, which kind of software probably do I need to make that happen? I see a lot (laughs) of manufacturing companies, they are working with the EAP system, sometimes uh, MES on top, but do I need other software to make that happen?
0: Well, you're quickly exceeding my fear of expertise, um, so I'm not the best one to answer that question. But I think that I will go back to some of our hypotheses as I as I attempt to at least provide a partial answer, and that is that you need to ensure that that the information that you you know and the way you architect the digital twin it provides the right level of information at the right speed for the support of frontline operations. You know, an example is uh, how a digital twin can be used as a power utility in Australia, Endeavor Energy. Recently, as they faced flooding across their network that submerged entire substations, they quickly stood up a digital twin, mostly so that they could identify where the assets were located underwater, and they could identify then when they could expect the water to recede based on, you know, accurate representations of elevation, et cetera, and the meteorology reports. So they could prioritize their work, they could make sure that their workers were safe because they could see where the assets were even though they couldn't visually locate them. So this is another example of a use case for digital twin. But I can't mm-hmm. I'm not an expert in how they're best architected. So I'm sorry, Benjamin.
1: No worries, no worries. I didn't want to talk about the exact software, but um, what I find interesting, and this is my main question behind it, when we talk about the technologies, for example, so we need digital twins, we need 5G, we need AI, we need augmented reality. What I see when I talk with thought leaders, with production companies, I see that this is some kind of overwhelming. So they understand that they need to transform in a lot of different directions there are a lot of new technologies out there and where is the starting point and can they for example start with their current infrastructure with their current systems and build step by step or do they need to change everything this is the questions i get oftentimes and my question would be how would you answer it when somebody is reaching out to you and says i want to change something how do you approach that
0: well i really appreciate this question And what we've been suggesting to people when they ask us similar questions is that everybody can have confidence in starting in a couple of specific ways. When we talk about AI, ML enabled technology solutions, when we talk about digital twin providing near real time information about operating, what this means is that you're going to need to have really robust data. Data that is of high quality, data that comes from you know, trusted sources that perhaps have multiple points of sensing so that that you can back up and correlate the data that you're receiving, but also data from your business systems, from your asset management systems, from your maintenance planning, and even the costs to procure new components and, and your inventory uh, status so that you can improve your first-time fixed rate and et cetera, so that you make you can quickly see if you've got a part on location or you need to source it from somewhere else. So step one, improving data and the information that you're using in the business. Two, improve the standardization of your processes and the performance of your processes. How this helps, again, is in process automation, is the predictability of processes, which, again, enables artificial intelligence, machine learning. Moving on to the next point, improving your GIS system, so your geographic information system about your network or your asset base. This is another step that organizations could take right now, moving to a next-generation GIS system and so because specific location information will become very important in this new world of operating that we're talking about and then finally start exploring AI right now pick a problem that you'd like to solve and get help solving that problem with uh, artificial intelligence examples i've seen are predicting the supply of water based on meteorological events and up to that point it was really came down to Operators' experience in what happens based on meteorological events, how customer demand changes. You know, saw a report on a project where someone had, you know, started with understanding what the operators used to make those decisions, then developed historical models that would use those criteria for predictions. Then they would test those predictions, automate teach the machine how to make those same predictions. And then um, now they have a, a model for informing their operations. That's an AI ML model. So those are a couple of answers, Benjamin, where people could start right now.
1: Sounds super interesting. And what I've heard is that before you want to start with AI, for example, you need to get the data right. You need to standardize. And this is something which I see a lot of times at manufacturing companies as well that we talk about new technologies new frameworks we can use to provide a business value and then we start to get operational and we see we need to fix the data first do you <laughs> see that sometimes that yeah you, you have very ambitious customers for example they want to be fast and adopting new technologies but then you have a data project beforehand which probably takes half a year because you you have to do your homework Do you see that and how do you work against it?
0: I think reflecting on my most recent experience in a client workshop, the client was quite realistic in this case of where they were. And so as we talked about the future, they were the ones who identified that, hey, we've got to get the foundational building blocks right first. We're not quite ready to start seriously talking about augmented reality or artificial intelligence empowered decision provision, um, suggestion provision coming from a digital worker platform, but instead they were quite clear of their own sort of understanding that they needed to improve their data, improve the predictability of their processes, improve the culture within their organization before they could move on to these next steps. It's not sexy, but necessary. And artificial intelligence, you know, will require data from sources that you haven't quite imagined yet and very accurate, reliable data at that. So, you know, these are just examples of where people can and should probably start. And I think that the recognition is that they understand they probably need to build those foundations as opposed to them not understanding that until they get started. So I think they're pretty realistic about it.
1: Sean, we have talked about the transformation of the frontline operations. And we talked about technologies on the one hand side, but we talked about capabilities on the other hand side and how, for example, responsibilities will change as well. When we bring that together and we see this transformation right now is, is going on, there will be change for the frontline workers, but there will be change for the businesses as well. So hopefully they will be able to improve. They will make more profit, less costs and so on. Is it. A two times improvement game, or is it a ten times improvement game? How do you see it? What is the the value behind it?
0: I think that the value is substantial over the the long term. We targeted our research, you, you know, to kind of focus on a ten year time horizon. So, you know, we're talking uh, twenty thirty two. You know, 10 year time horizon that will, and what we're seeing suggests that people are, in response to surveys, are suggesting they're going to invest in AR over the next three years for, you know, organizations with major frontline workforces, particularly in North America. So it's going to be a long term play, you know, over the next 10 years, and the payoff won't be immediate. But I believe that at the end of it, we'll see, as we compare where we are now to where we will be in the future, we're going to see dramatic improvements in efficiency in the services that are provided and i believe that this is going to be an important contributor and this is why i'm working in this space it's going to be an important contributor to the energy transition to turning the tide on climate crisis that how we manage our assets and our energies and our very critical resources like water will first and foremost be addressed at the front line with our ability to respond to changes, and, and so everything we've discussed will empower organizations to do that really well as we go through this what is uh, can not be described in any other way, but in any other way but an unprecedented transformation, you know, with respect to energy and the use of our resources to turn the tide on this climate crisis.
1: So we talk about that big transformation, and when you take a look into the next ten years. Do you see risk or external effects that might be a showstopper for that? Probably one topic which you see, which could be that showstopper.
0: I would say that um, the biggest roadblock to the progress that we're talking about would be people's interest in investing and ability to invest. So in moving forward, so we're not able to lay the foundations for whatever reason. You know, we're seeing international political situations which are, which are disturbing you know the stability of economies around the world where we're seeing you know subsequent resource issues in terms of uh, energy and the cost of energy going up, things like that so these are all affecting profitability and therefore the amount of capital we might have to invest to improve things. so I think that instability, economic crisis, these would be the major forces that would slow our progress, which ultimately would culminate in an organization not having the free capital to reinvest back into their business to improve how they're doing things digitally and help their workforce become enabled in that way.
1: Okay. So you talked about the ability to invest and coming to my last question, let's think of a CIO, a COO, he has the ability to invest, he wants to change something. He has a manufacturing company. He's working in a manufacturing company, which is a little bit old-fashioned. So they probably have a ERP system, but they are working paper-based on the front line. Everything is not very much digitalized. What should be the number one topic he should focus on today, right now, starting to work on?
0: Great question. More than perhaps previously, the CIO and the COO will need to work very closely together on their strategy, um, and then they'll do, they'll need to be in lockstep on that investment. That's my first thought. Is that, and they'll need to be in full coordination with any technology implementation that's going to affect the front line. So, what I've seen in the past, organizations operationally be almost brought to their knees because the CIO is rolling out um, something as simple as an in tune rollout to um, secure mobile phones for workers, but the team didn't realize the implications on frontline operations in the process. And now there's difficulties with workers accessing critical information from their just from their phones that they need to do their jobs, for example. So, But the first step, I would say probably in terms of investment, would be in those areas that I talked about, digital twin, process standardization, improvement of data, the building blocks. Uh, next generation GIS, if that's applicable to the business you know that you have in mind. So I'd just come back to those building blocks, and and then individually an organization will probably say, hey, we've done, we're pretty happy that our processes are really tight. We're pretty happy that our data is good, and that we're you know, we're pretty much measuring everything we can. But our GIS is a bit dated, so we will probably need to update that, and we need to make sure that it works well over 5G, that it's it's basically optimized to, for 5G operations, as an example.
1: So we have a clear agenda for the CEO and the CIO. And as I understand, the whole topic today, they need to start now if they didn't start yet.
0: Yes, absolutely. I think that, uh, that and that's what we're finding, Benjamin, as we consult with people about our thought leadership paper. There's keen interest right now that uh, executives are being asked by their board We want to see what's happening for the frontline in your digital strategy. Literally, as we went to present, we released our paper and one of the first organizations that brought us in to speak to them was an executive management team that was challenged by their board only uh, a few weeks prior to our report coming out. We need to see what investment we're going to make digitally to empower the frontline, to to move the frontline forward. Part of that is because frontline operations has historically perhaps been underinvested in compared to you know, asset management and the you know, the advancement of the asset base. But I think now is the time that people are becoming more interested and so like you said, they need to start now an investment in the frontline.
1: Sean, it has been super interesting and super inspiring to talk with you about the future of frontline operations. Thanks for being guest in the podcast and hopefully talk to you soon.
0: Thank you, Benjamin. I've really enjoyed it myself. I appreciate the uh, challenging questions and the opportunity to speak to you. So good luck and well done. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening and we hope you found this episode valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. You can find more information and resources at operationsone.com. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence and future-proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information.